I would love to give you an update right now about when the next time is we're going to gather in this building. And that date is going to be, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Some of y'all even in this room are like, we picked a date? When did that happen? I just wanted you to know that we are aware that the Safer at Home order has been extended through the month of August. And we're also aware of some of the other regulations that continue to be extended. And we want to be honoring and submissive to our leaders. And so our elders and myself and and some of the leadership of this church are going to be getting together over the next couple of weeks to hopefully put a plan in place for the fall. But with that being said, we just want you to know it is especially complicated for our church to regather in our building. And I only say this because I'm getting an elevated level of questions of like, it's been four months. We got to start thinking about when do we open the building? Here's the thing though. Most churches our size have buildings three or four or five times the size of this space at 323 Airport Road. We already had a building that was way underneath our capacity. And so we, we just fill it up with more services. But here's the thing. We can't move thousands of people in and out of a space that's already too small and do children's ministry well, especially as tens of thousands of people are about to move back to Auburn and many of them call this church home. And so I just want you to know, as you're seeing other churches open and you're going, what is going on with ACC? We're still doing online. For us, it's a really complicated conversation. And you need to know when we say your safety is our priority, That's not like a tagline we put at the end to go, hey, we care about you. No, we really do. And we feel the spiritual responsibility of being held accountable for your safety. And so we're making that a priority. And I promise we're going to update you as soon as we have updates for you. In the meantime, we're in the pivot. Somebody say pivot. Pivot. It's pivot season at ACC. And what we're doing is we're accepting the fact that God is lovingly reminding us every day that there are certain things in our lives that we thought were foundational that God has called us to make adjustable. The foundational portions of our lives are set in stone in who Jesus is, but everything else can be changed on a moment's notice. And that is happening over and over and over again, the more that 2020 goes on. Here's the thing. We're going to enjoy this journey a lot more and be used by God to a greater degree if we stop fighting the pivot and start accepting the fact that, okay, I got one foot planted in everything I know to be true about Jesus, but God, I'm available. You can come and shift and change anything you want at any given moment because you write a better story and ultimately the story is for your glory, not my comfort. And so we're accepting the pivot. It's a pivot season and we've been pivoting our perspective. We've been pivoting our pursuit last week. Oh my gosh. Last week we talked about seeking the face of God instead of seeking the mind of God or trying to figure out what he's doing in a given moment. And we said the fastest way to seek the face of God is to fall on your face before God. And I want to bring us back to that moment because I legitimately want to ask the question, Have you been on your face before God this week? Have you legitimately been falling before the Lord, casting your cares on him and seeing what happens when you turn over your fears and your sins and your baggage on him? Because here's the thing. It's so great to watch a sermon and go, that was a powerful truth about seeking the face of God from Isaiah chapter 55. And it's a totally different pursuit to actually fall on your face before God and go, God, I'm not okay today. God, I don't have the answers today. God, my emotions are not lining up the way I want them to today. That's where the power is accessed. And that's where I want to just press in a little bit and go, it's not enough for us to pull off church online. We have to be the people of God who take ownership over our own faith individually. And so here's the good news, church. I've been on my face before God this week. 
And I don't tell you that so that you pat me on the back and go, oh, that's great. You're a pastor. You're paid to do that. I don't tell you that. So you go, he's actually living out what it is he preached. I tell you that because I'm about to preach a sermon that wasn't birthed out of me in my office going, I wonder what people need to hear. I'm about to preach a sermon that was birthed out of being on my face before God and listening to the Holy Spirit tell me this is what my people need to hear. So I believe I got a word from heaven. And I can say that confidently. I say that trembling a little bit because I'm a little scared about what God is going to do over the course of the next few moments. I want to give you the title from the very beginning so you can write it down. The title of our sermon today as we continue this pivot season is called Prone to Wonder. Prone to Wonder. And as you're writing that down, if you just want to make a note, maybe in parentheses of the word anchor on the side, prone to wonder. Can you look at somebody next to you and say, I'm prone to wonder. I am prone to wonder. Come on, y'all say it louder in the room at 323 Airport Road. We can have a confessional right here, right now in church. It's not comfortable to say, but it couldn't be more true. And if you're curious about what is that language, I'm prone to wonder. That is a line I took straight out of a hymn called Come Thou Fount which was written in 1758 by a 22-year-old English preacher. And it says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The whole hymn is so beautiful. But that particular verse hit me as a 16-year-old Christian, before I, I knew much about hymns, other than the fact that I grew up Southern Baptist, and so I knew some hymns just from going to church every Sunday, but then my parents went crazy, and we became non-denominational in 1998, and it was like, whoa, they have guitars in here? They can, that's not allowed. And we met in a hotel, and this was like before that was trendy, and something that was actually acceptable, and so I was like, this is not church. This is a concert. What's funny is we're in 2020 and some of you, your first time at ACC was that exact conversation. And it's totally okay. I understand church happens differently, but there's something so beautiful and so valuable about looking in to the hymns that were written over church history. And Come Thou Fount is one of my absolute favorites because it expresses the honesty of a 22-year-old who's going, my heart won't stop wandering away. And I need something to tie my ever-wondering heart to the heart of God so I don't end up where I don't want to be. Church, I want to be real with you, and I hope you can be real in this moment as well. I'm really inconsistent during these days. And not just inconsistent in my actions. I would say I'm emotionally unstable a lot of days. Is anybody else feeling this? Like on a given day, you can be doing really well around like eight o'clock and then it's like by 10 or 11 or 12, the more times you've checked your phone or the more times you've seen something else that's gone wrong or the more times you've paid attention to and it's your own mistake for doing it and mine too, social media trolls and you go, oh wow, my emotions that were so in line with the heart of God and my great day just turned into bitterness, just turned into fear, just turned into uneasiness. In fact, the more that reports come 
come out and we're trying to figure out, is school going to start on time and how is this all going to work? I can feel the anxiousness of a lot of us just rising. And there's a lot of days where it's not like you have an unstable week. It's like within a given day, you hit all four seasons and you're like, I felt this way. And then it became like this. And then it became like this. And I feel like it's a commonality across the board in our church right now. We're all over the place. And I just want to join you in that conversation and go, I feel so close to the heart of God in a given moment. And then literally an hour later, I will be thinking, what is wrong with me and what's going on? And that's why I included the word anchor on the back end of the title of this sermon, because scripture calls Jesus the anchor for our souls. We're going to look at that in the scriptures in just one second, but I want to give you a little preview to where we're going. Your soul and my soul needs an anchor because God has prepared for the fact that you're so inconsistent and unstable and going to drift away on your own. God has planned for the fact that you and I are going to have days, we're going to have weeks, and we're going to have months where we are drifting further than we realize. And that's what's so beautiful about an anchor is an anchor only needs to be laid where it's already acknowledged that there's going to be some drifting. I'm not a sailor. No, that's a shock. I don't know a lot about boats. I don't know a lot about anchors. I wouldn't even know what to do if I had to hold one. I think you just throw it down. It goes to the bottom and, and, and holds into the ground. I'm literally figuring this out as I say it. But the idea, I do know this, the idea behind an anchor is this, that if a ship or a boat gets knocked off course by the wind or the waves, the anchor only lets it drift for a certain amount of space before a rope pulls it back to where it was originally intended to be. We need Jesus to catch us as we drift because some of us are drifting into spaces and states of mind that are straight up dangerous and toxic. We need an anchor for our souls. And the merciful, beautiful thing about it is Jesus has already acknowledged that you're going to drift. God is already aware of the fact that you're going to move to a place where you don't need to be. And what happens is when you are connected to Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God has this tendency of prompting you and convicting you and going, wait, stop right there. Go no further. You got to bring this back to who you are called to be. And so I just want to preach to somebody who's been wandering away from God. I want to preach to somebody who, if they could just be honest about the way the last few months have gone, Jesus has not felt that close. Jesus has not been that engaging. And story after story about the faithfulness of God just reminds you personally that your story is going in a completely different direction. It is not too late today for Jesus to change the course of your life and the course of this season completely if you will allow the anchor of your soul to catch you and pull you back once again. And we're going to see how God does that in the word of God. If you have your Bible church, hold it up. Come on, Bible drill. This is shocking. My wife brought her Bible to church. That's amazing. Great attendance over here. I got a staff member who didn't bring their Bible. That's great. Bible's all over the place. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. I told y'all last week that we're going to just open up what's happening in this room for God to move during this time. So if I interact with somebody in the crowd, it's just because we're not trying to fool anybody into thinking that we're putting on like a movie up here. What we're doing is we're just trying to legitimately have an encounter with God. And there might be conversational moments that happen throughout the next few minutes that I'm not even aware of yet. But just go with us on that because we've got to live in this season for a while and we're trying to make it as engaging as possible. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 11. Okay. I need to tell you this. 
the theme of Hebrews in one word. If you think of one word, every time somebody tells you about the book of Hebrews for the rest of your life, think perseverance. Hebrews is about urging Christians to persevere who are thinking about giving up. When this was written, Christianity was getting complicated. More people were believing that Jesus was the son of God and more people were being murdered because they believed Jesus was the son of God. More people were losing their businesses. More people were losing their families. More people were being were suffering in the midst of the beginnings of their faith that they're going, you know what? I do believe in him, but I don't know if I want to hold on to that confession because of what it might cost me personally. And so the writer of Hebrews writes to a particularly Jewish audience. So a lot of the themes have to do with the Old Testament of the Bible, but the purpose is to talk people out of walking away from Jesus and tell them, listen, it is not worth it to walk away. Jesus is so much better than every other option you have for your life. He's so much better than every other option you have in religion. Stay with Jesus. He is worth it. He is better. I believe in this season we need perseverance, church. We need the book of Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. We're going to see some of that language right here. If you're there, say I'm there. Here we go. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end. Now the writer of Hebrews is describing the outcome of people's faith who hold on to their confession of who God is, most of them from the Old Testament. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be realized. We do not want you to become lazy. Look at the person next to you say, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Let's look at this for a second. The book of Hebrews is loaded with examples of faith. But the father of all this is Father Abraham from the book of Genesis. And the writer of Hebrews will go back to Abraham over and over and over again. And the writer is saying, I don't want you to become lazy. I don't want you to start to drift away in your faith. I want you to hold on to your confession. I want you to know it is so worth it to stay with Jesus. And I love this, the writer. And we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. There's a lot of debate about it, by the way. We're not going to get into that right now or have that debate because it's just not worth it. It was Paul. And so, and so the, the writer says this. He says, when God made his promise, promise to Abraham. He, he made him a promise. There was no one greater for him to swear by. He swore by himself. We'll talk about that in a second. said, I'll bless you and give you many descendants. And then it says this, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Isn't that beautiful? God made Abraham a promise. Abraham believed God and God was faithful to keep that promise. Isn't that like just how life is? It's just God makes you a promise and then you say, okay, I believe you. Yes, Lord. And then it all works out in the end. That's the way the story goes, right? And you know what? I love this example because it says Abraham waited patiently, but it doesn't say Abraham waited perfectly. There's a difference. If you read the story of Abraham, you'll find out that God makes him a promise that he's going to be the father of a nation and over the course of waiting for God to keep that promise, Abraham's wife becomes so impatient that she actually laughs at the idea of having a child and encourages her husband to go sleep with her servant and get the process started faster. How's that for waiting patiently? 
And Abraham gets outside of God's timing and there's a baby that is born. His name's Ishmael. And he's actually the father of all of the nations that surround Israel in the Middle East. If you're wondering, why is there always tension in the Middle East between Israel and everybody else? It began in your Bible. And it began with a man who got outside of God's timing. And so another nation is born. And ultimately, God is faithful to keep his promise to Abraham. Now, I don't want to hate on Abraham. The man believed God so much so he was willing to sacrifice his promised son, Isaac, which just coincidentally, Isaac means he laughs, she laughs. God forced them to name their son after their action of unbelief in response to his promise. But God still gives Abraham an opportunity to wait Patiently, because waiting on God patiently does not mean waiting on God perfectly. And here's the thing, here's the thing. Look up here, church, don't miss this. I've said it a thousand times at our church, but there's a lot of new people watching our church. I need to say it. The goal of the Christian life is not perfection. The goal of the Christian life is perseverance. God is not waiting for the day where you're finally gonna get it right, where you're finally not gonna drift anymore. You're finally not gonna go back to that old relationship. You're finally gonna stop going down those old patterns. No, God wants to know that your faith in him, even if it's not gonna be perfect, even if it's gonna be complicated, even if there are days where you wanna give up and go your own way entirely, that you never get away from getting caught by that anchor and being brought back to who God calls you, son, daughter. And that's exactly what happens to Abraham. He holds on to the word of God over his life and God does something so powerful, even though it wasn't perfect. I don't know if it's just me. I'm encouraged by the fact that somebody can be commended for their faith, even if they have moments of weakness where they get outside of God's timing. He works out all things for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. And you are one of those people. And I am one of those people. We got to hold on to the promises of God, church. Verse 16, let's pick it up. People swear, going back to that word God gave Abraham, people swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. What does that mean? That means when people make promises... They, they make promises on things that are greater than themselves. So when people want to prove to you that they're telling the truth, they say things like, I promise on my grandmother's life. I promise on this. I promise on Auburn football, which we're praying to God. We still have a season coming up. A lot of people are praying for that more diligently than a lot more things in their lives that they should be praying more urgently for. But that's not something we need to talk about right now. People go, I promise on this. Well, listen, when God wanted to confirm an oath, there was nothing for him to swear by that was greater than himself. This is hilarious. God makes an oath on his word. He basically says, I swear by myself because there is no way for me to talk about anything greater or more unchanging than the word that I give out. And it says, by two unchangeable things, we who have fled to take hold of this hope find the courage to hold on because we know what God promises with words he always fulfills with action. You need to take that to the bank. The promises of God are where the peace of God is truly found. God, when he makes a promise with words, he always, always, always fulfills it with action. And as you're looking around at a world that looks nothing like what we want it to look like right now, I just want to remind us, every promise of God finds its yes and amen in Jesus. And everything God has promised you and promised me as children of God will come to pass. He is faithful. And here's where we're landing in verse 19. 
We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Amazing. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And then the writer of Hebrews, remember, this is written to a predominantly Jewish audience, talks about how Jesus has become our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, that's a name that many of you haven't said before. In fact, if you want to just look at the person next to you right now, say Melchizedek. Melchizedek. It's kind of fun to say. This is a topic of a lot of debate and scholarship in the church. Some of you who love going deep in your Bible, you're like, I would love to have coffee and talk about Melchizedek. Here's what you need to know about this. You need to know that for the people of God 2,000 years ago, who are Israelites, Jewish people, what was confusing about the writer of Hebrews saying Jesus is our great high priest is that the high priest in Israel is always from the tribe of the Levites, And so when the people of God heard Jesus is the one who goes before God for our sins, they would go, wait a second, he's not from the right tribe. He's from the tribe of Judah. How can he be the great high priest? And the writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 he's not in the Levitical line. He's in the line of Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? Melchizedek was a priest from Salem, which is Jerusalem, who actually meets Abraham during his lifetime and blesses him. And Abraham, as he, as he pays homage and gives gifts to Melchizedek, what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's saying, hey, just like Melchizedek is a guy that you didn't know a lot about and he's a priest forever, that's the line Jesus is in. So Melchizedek is actually a type of Christ and you can look up online all that goes into that meaning. But the key thing behind this passage is not that you get thrown off by names that you don't understand. It's that you come to understand that the writer wants you to know you can have a hope that is an anchor for your soul by knowing that you your high priest, your advocate, the one who intercedes before you in front of God is Jesus. Did you know that the hope for your soul that anchors you right where you are today is that your representative is the perfect, spotless son of God who never, ever changes or wavers or drifts at all? There is a hope and an anchor for your soul today. And it will never be your emotional state. It will never be your ability to obey God enough. It will never be your personal disciplines. It will never be on the other side of organizing your life according to circumstances exactly the way you wanted it. The hope that is an anchor for your soul, no matter how much you wander, is this. Jesus Christ himself is our high priest forever. It is Jesus who stands before God, who offers the sacrifice, which is himself. And it is Jesus himself, when we become weak, when we drift away, when we're falling on our own, it is Jesus who, before God, says, that's my child. It's Jesus himself who prays for us when we don't even know what to pray for. It's Jesus himself who goes, even if they fall away all of COVID season, they are mine. And that hope is the anchor for your soul today. And when you start to catch on to the love of God and connect yourself to the one who is not going to change, all of a sudden, his consistency becomes your stability. You're not, you're not like grabbing on to something that's movable or going to fall. You're actually able to stand your life on an anchor that will hold firm and secure. 
So this week I had a powerful conversation with a family that our church was able to bless because their business here in Auburn has been greatly impacted by the after effects of COVID-19. And it's just crazy how God put us with this family. We'll probably do a video about it eventually. So I don't want to give every detail of the story, but we were able to bless this family and help them. And they were so grateful. But, but what the man said in response to us blessing them is he said, you don't know how many times the hand of God has provided for my life in situations where I thought I was at the end of myself. Now, when he said that, I was like, oh, he's about to tell a story about another season of life where God came through for him in a miraculous way. And it'll, you know, it'll be fine. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand. I was in the Twin Towers on 9-11. When the first one was struck, I was 30 floors below where that plane hit. And he said, when the plane hit the tower, my whole office just started moving. Everything started moving. And when I noticed I was losing my footing, he said, I reached out and I tried to grab onto my desk. And he said, in a moment, I realized how foolish that was because the desk was moving just as much as I was moving. And he said, I literally had the thought, if the hand of God doesn't grab my hand, I'm not going to make it through this. And he said, just as the hand of God got me through that back then, your gift to our family is the hand of God in this season. That's a powerful story. But it's a, it's, it's a powerful illustration because for so many of us, we're trying to anchor our souls on things that are moving just as much as we're moving. And we're going, I'm getting shaken up by all this and I just, I need something to grab. I need something to stabilize me. And it is literally foolish to reach to any other hand other than the hand that walks you into the presence of God and says, this one's on me. This child is mine. This one is covered. This one is paid for. This one has everything they need in me. And I will represent them before you, my father, forever. And what are you anchoring your soul to today? What do you reach for when you try to go, how do I figure out this current season? We're prone to wonder because we try to find a connection for our soul to something that's going to move just as much as we do. And I'll tell you, I've been doing that personally. My emotions have been all over the place. I know this, this, this could surprise many of you, but I've never led through a global crisis before. Um, this is my first time being a part of that. Well, that's not necessarily true because when 9-11 happened, let's think about this for a second. When 9-11 happened, I was in sixth grade and I actually won the sixth grade student council election at Smitham Middle School running away because my campaign slogan was miles will go miles for you. And it was beautiful. And then, and not only did I have a slogan that good, that was my mom who gave me that, by the way. Not only was my slogan that good, I gave out Starburst and nobody else thought to give out Starburst. And so not only did I have this catchiest slogan, while other people, other candidates in sixth grade, I love that I'm going into this story, were sharing, I'm throwing out Starburst going, vote for me. I don't know why this person's talking so much. I just brought Starburst to throw to everybody. It was an election that was an absolute beatdown. I destroyed every other sixth grade on Starburst and miles will go miles for you. So I was in student council during 9-11, but that does not count as leading a group of people genuinely and sincerely. I love that I get to share stories like that. Maybe we'll have a picture or something. I've not led a group of people through something like this before. And so much of the past four months for me has been paying attention, listening, and writing down lessons that God is showing me for future seasons that might come and learning from leaders who have been there before. 
But one of the things that is frustrating me the most is that I'm letting my spirit on a daily basis get dictated by a lot of voices that are not an anchor for my soul. And if I am not careful, my spirit will be entirely ruled by people who have no business telling me how to feel or what I'm doing wrong or who I am today. I don't know what it is about this season, and I feel like everybody in the room could agree with this, but people have just gotten more trigger happy with negativity. It's just a lot easier to sit behind a screen and go, I'm just going to share my opinion about whatever. I don't see anybody, and so I'm just going to say whatever. I don't care who feels like being courteous has been lost on a lot of people. And so what's happened to me so many times is I will be, I'll be having the best morning. I would, just the other morning, I was having the best morning ever with my girls But as soon as I open up my soul, as soon as I open up my mind and I see something that has the capacity to trigger me in a direction, I will drift to levels to where I won't even understand the negativity and the isolation that I'm living in by the end of the day. And what I need in that moment and what you need in those moments, I don't know what the triggers are for you, but I know we all have a tendency to drift. What we need is something practical where Jesus becomes more than a high priest and someone that we praise with songs. We need moments where the Son of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can go, get back here. We need moments where Jesus can go, that's not the pattern that we're thinking through. That's not the road that we're going down. We need moments where Jesus can interrupt us from getting too far away. And there are some of you who have gone months without the voice of God calling you back and anchoring your soul. And you're wondering, how did I get so far from what I said I believed about Jesus? If I could just ask you simply, how many opportunities does Jesus have on a daily basis to anchor your soul because you're prone to wonder? When you talk to somebody who legitimately has walked away from their faith, one of the most common answers you'll get to this question of, when is the last time you spent time with God? they can usually trace it back to the exact moment where the drift began. It all goes back to anchoring your soul to Jesus. And I know we do it through songs and I know we have moments of prayer, but what you have to learn how to do is to practically put anchors in your life that are going to fall and are going to catch you when you go, I didn't even notice, but wow, that was about to get bad. I'm gonna bring it right back because I know I'm prone to wander. Somebody say prone to wander. Okay, I got three things quickly. Three things that I want to function in your life like a rope that connects you to the anchor. This is a practical message. This is going to be very clear about what it means for your Monday. But it's all motivated by Jesus being that firm and secure anchor for our souls. And they're all going to be one word because I want to be super simple. Number one is this. The first rope that connects you to the anchor of Jesus that will remind you who you are and keep you from drifting is one word, stillness. Stillness. Write down stillness. We've all heard Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. And when I say stillness, I want to just loop into that word solitude and silence. I know they're not the same thing. I know each one has its own definition, but I want to talk about having consistent moments in your daily life where there is a lack of movement happening all around you so you can be reconnected to your anchor who holds you close and in place. See, I believe time alone with God is so much more than a quiet time that we got to schedule because we're Christians. 
Come on, there's way too many of us who are like, oh, when's the last time I had my quiet time? If COVID has taught us anything, our souls need the presence of Jesus for our very sanity. It is no longer a, ah, well, I can afford to skip that. No, no, no. Stillness is an absolute prerequisite for the spirit of God filling you up on the inside so that you can drown out all that noise and Jesus can bring you back to the conviction of who you really are. There are things that I say and things that I do in my daily life that I don't even notice how much I offended God until I get alone with God. So what do you think happens when I go days or weeks at a time without truly stilling my heart before God? Once that moment comes and I'm suddenly aware of that's the way I've been talking. That's the way I've been thinking. That's something that I actually allowed to happen. See, I wasn't offended by it when it happened because I was drifting. But once I'm still with Jesus long enough, he has the capacity to be that anchor and catch me and pull me. And I go, wow, God, I'm so sorry. And I got to turn this over to you. If in this season of so many things getting canceled and so many things being paused, you have found it difficult to still your heart and mind, it's probably because you're not stilling your body before the Lord. So yes, this involves prayer. Yes, this involves the word of God. It might be sitting in a chair, turning your phone on do not disturb and just looking up at the sky and allowing yourself to breathe for five seconds. And what will happen is it's more than a peaceful feeling. I love that. I said more than a feeling. It's a Boston song. It's more than just a moment where you go, wow, that felt really therapeutic. No, this is how your soul stays anchored in Jesus. The word of God says the spirit convicts and reminds How's the spirit of God going to remind you who you really are? If your life is so chaotic and hectic and loud, you couldn't hear him, even though he is speaking. One of the reasons why God whispers is so powerful when you hear a whisper from God. Because you only whisper to somebody when you're really close in proximity. When you and I take the time to get still, to get alone, and to get silent before the Lord, what you'll feel in your soul is an anchor going, come back to who you really are. Church, I cannot beg you and plead with you enough to get alone before God and stop all the noise and the chaos to tune into God. In fact, I believe in this so much. I brought you a little uh, acronym I borrowed from, from one of my favorite churches and one of my favorite pastors who's a good friend, David Marvin, out at the porch in, at Watermark Church in Dallas. I saw this on his Instagram story. I'm like, bro, can I borrow that at ACC? He's like, borrow that? It's Philippians chapter four. It's the Bible. Use it. So here's this. We're going to put up four letters. It's the word calm. C-A-L-M. And when you read through Philippians chapter four, you're gonna see all of this present. Here's what I want you to do when you're still before the Lord. Number one, C, and you can screenshot this right now if you want to, communicate your fears to God. Communicate your fears to God. A, ask for help. L, let God know your requests. And M, meditate on who God is. Communicate your fears to God, ask God for help, let God know your requests, meditate on who God is. I'm telling you, I've been in the presence of God this week, calm before him going, okay, God, this is what I'm afraid of. Okay, God, I, I, I received this level of communication from this person. And so I, I want you to know my fear has gone to this level and this level and this level. And I'm having this internal conversation that I need to include you in on. And, and I just want to give this over to you. And I want to ask you to be my help. And I want to ask you to be the one who runs my course. And so God, here's my request. Here's everything going on on the inside of me that I just need to let 
let go of that I just need to put on you. But the last one's the most important one. Meditate on who God is. Think about who he is. Listen, this is the difference between fear and faith. It's when your what ifs become God is. We become afraid when we live in what if this, what if this, what if this. We become full of faith when we go, God is faithful. God is love. God is freedom. God is true. God is Jesus. And he stands before my heavenly father on my behalf. Now I've been still before the Lord. And all of a sudden, not, nothing about my situations changed. Everything about my spirit has changed in that moment because I got an anchor for my soul. And I knew I was prone to wonder. So I planned to wonder. I got still before the Lord. And Jesus pulled me back and said, you're going crazy over here. I got to bring you back to what I've said to be true about you. That's number one, is this helping anybody? Stillness is number one. Number two, and I don't even know how long I'm going because they didn't start the timer this time. So this one could be several hours, guys. We could have a long way to go, you ready? Number two, I tried to make them all one word starting with ST. So number one was stillness. Number two, structure. Number two is structure. Oh, this is huge, this is huge structure. A bigger problem then inconsistency in our lives is aimlessness. And the lack of structure that this season has caused is the foundational, I believe, reason why a lot of us have drifted away from communion with Jesus. When I say structure, I mean putting intention toward your day putting intention toward how you spend your time, putting some intention toward your relationships and not waking up in the morning and allowing your day to be defined by whatever happens. If you live your life like that, you will drift away from the presence of God. It's a natural drift. And what will happen is if you don't have these ropes that are in place to connect you to the anchor, the anchor is not going to catch you and pull you back because you'll be so far out on your own. And you'll not even realize that it's not because you're just not obedient enough or not disciplined enough. It's because you never took the time to actually put structure to how you spend your day. And human beings were created by God to flourish within the context of structure. So structure has been thrown off. We don't know if we're going back to school. We don't know what sports are going to look like. We don't know what everything we used to call normal was going to look like. And so for a lot of us, we threw structure out the window because you're like, how can you create a schedule when you don't even have anything to put on the schedule? Listen, I'm not saying you need to become a planner if you're not. I am saying to be a Christian means to live your life with holy intention. And there's a reason why Jesus had such a keen sense of his purpose because he got still before his father, but then he had structure to how he lived, he lived his life. Now, here's the great thing about structure. When you put structure in place, it actually allows for divine interruptions to happen. So if you've already thought through in your day, this is when I'm gonna be still before the Lord. This is what it looks like for me to raise my kids today. These are the relationships I'm gonna invest deeply in. I'm not saying you gotta spend three hours thinking through this. I'm talking about three minutes. You put a little structure to your day, now you've actually given yourself the context where your soul is anchored to something. I wrote this down, I feel so strongly about this. Some sins in our lives are not meant to be fought with more resistance. They're meant to be fought with more structure. Some of the sins that you and I struggle with, if you actually read the Bible, the Bible won't say, stand up to that and overcome it. There are certain struggles where God says, structure your life in such a way where you won't even get tempted to go down that road. Think through how you're spending your days and actually allot the time to set your life up to where there's not even the temptation that's going to run you over that could take you down that road all over again. What does it mean to structure my life? It means to set intention toward my day. It means to fill my time because there is no free time. People love to go, what do you do in your free time? It doesn't exist. Every single moment costs something. 
And I believe Jesus who gave his life for us to have the breaths that we are breathing right now, even if you're like, that is so hard with kids at home and we're not leaving the house, that is so hard. Okay, but here's what you give up if you don't take time to build structure into your life. You give up living your life with intention and you actually gave up a level of connection to your anchor. So don't be surprised if you're floating around on the basis of whatever happens today. Church, we can't afford to let your life just be totally up to how circumstances unfold today. And if you're frustrated, if you're tired, if it's been difficult, I just want you to know there is a better way. And I believe structure is going to tie your soul to that anchor. Once again, is this helping people? Because I've been waiting for point number three this entire sermon. I so believe in stillness. I so believe in structure. But if I have lost you and you're watching on YouTube or if I've lost you in this room, you need to look up here right now and don't miss this. Somebody say prone to wander. Somebody say anchor. Here it is. Stillness, structure. Number three, stay. Stay. If you're wondering, yes, chose that word because it starts with S-T. But I also chose it based on the line from the song, Lord, I need you, that says, Jesus, you're my hope and stay. And I've never really thought about the depth of meaning that's there, but the word stay literally means your strength to endure. Stay. The ultimate anchor for your soul is the personal decision that you are going to follow Jesus no matter what, and you are not going to leave. If perfection's not the goal, perseverance is. I just wanna call some of you. For some of you, structure and stillness is like, that. that's not even a start. I just want you to hear from me. Maybe the goal of life is just one more day today. Stay in the story. Stay with Jesus. Sometimes the secret to doing something incredible for the kingdom of God is not having this amazing gifting. It's just having the perseverance to keep showing up regardless of what's going on. I wanna encourage some of you to stay. Keep showing up in your relationship with God because at the end of the day, even if things are getting crazy right now, I wanna ask this question, where else are you gonna go? That's the conclusion that Peter had for Jesus. Remember in John chapter six, when Jesus, he feeds 5,000 people and everybody wants to follow him because he has free food, but then he becomes less popular when he's like, okay, if you wanna follow me, you gotta eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everybody's like, whoa. We like the free food, don't like the cannibalism, we're out. And of course we know that what Jesus was truly saying in that moment was, I'm the one you need to be chasing after. I'm the food that truly gives life and satisfaction. I'm the drink that truly satisfies your soul. Thousands of people walk away from Jesus. People right and left. That's what's happening right now, church. People moving on to a different worldview, to a different teacher, to a different whatever. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, what are you going to do? Looks at all the disciples. Are you going to leave too? I love Peter's response. He says, Lord, where else am I going to go? You alone have the words to eternal life. We have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. We stay 
because where else are we going to go? Church, I want to encourage you, the anchor for your soul, if you're prone to wonder, stay with Jesus because where else are you going to go? Now, here's where I just want every word I'm about to say to land from heaven. Even as I tell you to do that, your capacity to stay in communion with Jesus has actually already been decided and sealed by Jesus if he's your high priest. This is deep. But even though Peter said early on, we'll follow you. We're in. Where else are we going to go? You know what he says later? I'll die for you, Jesus. You know what Jesus says to Peter? Actually, you're going to deny me three times. But I have prayed for you, Peter. And when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. Wait, what? Jesus planned for Peter to fall away? He planned for Peter's drift? Yeah. But he decided before Peter decided to be Peter's anchor. And so he tells Peter, I prayed for you. You know what it means to be a high priest? It means to advocate for people on their behalf before God. If you're in Christ today, Jesus has prayed for you. And you need to know your capacity to stay with Jesus doesn't rely completely on your decision to persevere in your faith. Your capacity to stay with Jesus was sealed by the fact that God chose you before you chose God. And that's an anchor for your soul. That's something for you to go, you've got to be kidding me. How do I know that to be true? It's the only reason why every time you try to walk away from Jesus, you can't do it. It's the reason why when you wake up the morning after a night of running away in sin, you're miserable. You want to know why you're miserable? Because the Spirit of God is preaching in your heart, testifying that you are a child of God. God will drive you crazy for the rest of your life just to remind you, you're mine and you can't do anything about it. So stay, stay. And Jesus goes, oh, you're going to stay because you're not holding me. The anchor's holding you. Stay. We're going to sing that beautiful hymn. It says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. And I just want to invite everybody to be as real as you want to be. This is a moment for you to encounter God right where you're sitting. But this is a moment for a lot of us who've been drifting to let that anchor catch. I hope this was helpful, but more than anything, I hope it's impactful. Would you just close your eyes? Would you just bow your heads right where you are, wherever you are? Just close your eyes. Just bow your heads. Let's have a moment before God. Oh, God, I thank you so much for this moment. I thank you so much that you have given us an anchor for our souls in Jesus God, I pray for people who have drifted further away from you than they ever imagined they would end up. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would remind them that you have not only prepared for this moment, that you have prayed for them in this moment. And Jesus, if it's you praying for us, that's a guaranteed yes from the Father. 
So I pray that we feel the weight of you being the one who drew us into your family. And I pray that our faith in this moment would just be a yes to your finished work. I pray that we would be faithful. I pray that we would hold on and we would persevere, but not because we wanna prove anything about our strength. No, we're weak and we're flaky and we're unsteady and unstable. God, I pray it would be rooted in the fact that you are that sure, you are that foundational. You will always catch us when we wonder. So we love you, God. We give you this moment. I ask that you move in people's lives more than a song can do that, your spirit. We love you, God. We sing to you now in Jesus' name, amen.